0: The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 347. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back with the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan, like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do so. 10 Myths of American History, and of course, you get the best deals on new courses, and I have a new course out, launched on Friday of last week, so if you're a McClanahan Academy subscriber, you already know about it. You've already been getting the good deal on it. If you're not a McClanahan Academy subscriber, you'll get a coupon to it a little later, but right now, you're getting a great deal. So head on over to mclanahanacademy.com and enroll for free. Get that 10 Myths of American History class. And then get on the email list where you get the coupon. So it's a win-win situation for you. And you can get a great deal on this Southern Cultural and Intellectual History Part 2, which is the name of the course. So a great course. You're going to want it. Also, you can go to brianmclanahan.com. Click on that Support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Help keep the lights on. Help keep the podcast going. You can get a book plate. To get one of my uh, books autographed, so I've got many of those out. New book, Southern Scribblings, it's been out a couple of months now, but still, you're still going to want to get that book. It's a great book, 60 uh, Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. You can also go to Learn T-R-U-E, T-R-U-E learntruehistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Tom teaches there, so do I, and a whole bunch of other great instructors, so you want to get that as well. Get your Brian McClanahan Show gear by clicking on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. All kinds of great ways to support the show. And, of course, rate it wherever you get your podcast. Share it around on social media. Do all you can to spread the message of thinking locally and acting locally. All right. Well, let's talk about the topic of the day. And this is – we're going to wrap up the DNC. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's speech. And I'm going to do Trump, of course, as this is the RNC week. So we'll talk about Trump. Um. And I'll probably do something in the near future to discuss, again, some of the third-party candidates. Now, I've already done that a little bit. Now, all of this is within, of course, the idea that national politics is not really the way forward. And I've said this many times. National politics is not where we need to be, focusing our attention. But because uh, people do still talk about national politics, and we do have an election coming up, I think it's important to talk about it anyways. But what you're going to see out of both candidates is a bunch of nationalist nonsense, unconstitutional policies. I mean, it's it's terrible. And Joe Biden's speech is one of the most uh, vapid speeches I've ever read. There's nothing in it. There's no substance. It's a bunch of platitudes and slogans. It's horrible. Now, there's a lot of controversy about the speech. Some people believe that Biden recorded it early and they edited it so it made it look like he was coherent and cognizant the whole time and understanding what he was talking about. Um, I don't know if that happened, but, you know, anybody can go read a speech. Look, Joe Biden's been doing this for 40 years. He is the consummate career politician. It's funny how the Democrats have nominated in Joe Biden someone who is the exact opposite of what they say they want in a political leader. I mean, it just shows you how strong the establishment still is in the Democrat Party. And again, this is where Biden is racing to the center. So Biden has decided they need a moderate message. And you have all these Republicans going over to Biden's campaign, look, what a, what a what an odd endorsement for Donald Trump when George W. Bush is going to support Joe Biden. If George W. Bush is going to support anybody, you should vote against that person. Because, look, Bush's Wilsonian progressive republicanism, or you could say Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt Republicanism is not what the United States really needs. And I know people will say, well, yeah, but all the rioting and all that stuff, is caused by Donald Trump. No, it's caused by a bunch of crybabies who don't like the fact they lost an election. And this is really where it comes. Look, American history is about one thing. American politics is about one thing. It always is about one thing. It's about power. The Democrats want power. And so to do it, they're going to unleash the more radical elements of their base they're going to fire them up, get them out there rioting and doing all kinds of things because that's what these people are. They're Democrats. And then when it comes time, they're going to say, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're still governing in the center. If you look at Joe Biden's speech, the, the aim of that speech is to appeal to the moderate American voter. It's, it's all this about. And more importantly, it's a bunch of Franklin Roosevelt nonsense. Look, Franklin, Franklin Roosevelt could have made this same speech. You see, the Democrats don't have anything new to talk about. They haven't since 1944. Everything they're saying now is from 1944 in one way or another, or maybe 1948. But the Democrats haven't gotten out of the 40s yet. Right now, people, people's oh, the Republicans haven't gotten out of the 1860s. This is, uh, what, what, well, I mean, it depends on which 1860s you're talking about. I don't think the Republicans have left the 1860s. I think the Republican Party is still the same party it was in the 1860s. It hasn't changed, really. I know that uh, you know, maybe some of the supporters are different than they were in the 1860s, but the Republican Party, if you look at particularly the establishment Republicans, they want to be the party of Abraham Lincoln. They want to be the party of U.S. Grant. They haven't left the 1860s. They never will because they think that's a winning formula to get people to vote for them. The Democrats haven't left the 1940s. Because they think that Franklin Roosevelt's the winning formula. This is how tired American politics really are. They're awful. What we really need is candidates who talk about decentralization and federalism and, and solving things at the state level. All this discussion about Donald Trump has failed California. Last time I checked, he wasn't the governor of California. These wildfires and other things that are in California now. I mean, what have, what have the morons in California been doing to stop this problem? Their forestry management policies and other things have caused much of the problem there in California. So this is a state problem, just as almost every issue really is a state problem. And when people point out that, and I'll, well, let me just read some of this Joe Biden speech because it's really awful. And then, of course, I said last week, this is the funniest thing. I said last week, I don't think Joe Biden can plagiarize this speech because everyone's going to focus on it. Well, lo and behold, dun, dun, dun the information comes out that Joe Biden has probably plagiarized in this speech as well, too. Even though they have some software there that would supposedly prevent this kind of thing from happening, Joe Biden went out and still plagiarized the speech. Now, I'm not so hard on this because, look, if you go back and, and look at um, 18, in the 1800s, in the, in the antebellum period, presidents often, in their inaugural addresses, pulled from other inaugural addresses, right, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of similarity in them. They, they, they use things from others. They did this because they understood it was a formula that worked. The problem with Biden is that he's gone out and essentially word for word repeated what other people have said and claimed it to be his own without really saying, yeah, I, I mean, if he had said, look, as so-and-so said, well, nobody's going to say a word about that. But he doesn't do that. So... You look at this speech, there is there's not much to it. It it is I mean, it's horrible in its lack of any type of meat. Right? There's nothing concrete in this. There's not I mean, this is this is exactly what politicians want to do. It is the poster child for a meaningless political speech designed to get people to like it. And it has all these little one sentence zingers platitudes, slogans, things that don't mean anything. Now, if we had a presidency that didn't really mean anything as it was designed to be, if the presidency actually acted, the president and the executive office actually adhered to the powers that were granted to it in the Constitution, then the speech really wouldn't matter. But we expect more out of the president now. The American public does. So this speech, I mean, I don't. The American public seems to. So, I mean, listen to what he says. Um, Good evening. Ella Baker, a giant of the Civil Rights Movement, left us with this wisdom. Give people light and they will find a way. First of all, here we are starting first line. We're, we're calling to the Civil Rights Movement. Well, he's appealing to his base there. He thinks that's what's going to get people fired up because this is one of the issues that he thinks everyone's going to focus on in this modern election. I mean, again, this is, we could say this is 1948 or maybe 1964, but the Democrats really haven't gotten anything new. What, what I don't understand, and, and it's funny to me, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has come out and said, yeah, I mean, the speech is all right, but you know, these, he really isn't appealing to anybody in, the, in what's going to be the real base of the Democrats in the future. I actually will say this about Ocasio-Cortez. She is principled, but the fact that she supported Bernie Sanders... Says something. The other thing about the Democrats, the only minority woman who got any delegates, Tulsi Gabbard, she actually had delegates, was not invited to the, to the convention. Why? Because she's anti-war and the Democrats are not anti-war. They never have been. They've always been the war party. Every major war of the 20th century, think about it, every major war of the 20th century, with the exception of well, this well, that would say the 21st century. But in the 20th century, every major war by a Democrat, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, all Democrats. Now, you could say that Vietnam began with Eisenhower, and I could agree with you on that. But he was still a progressive when it came to foreign policy. So the progressives have gotten us into all the big wars. The progressives are the problem. Even in the twenty first century, you can say, "Well, yeah, but Bush is a Republican. He's a Wilsonian, and so yeah, he's a Republican, and he did get us into a bunch of wars in the twentieth century." Uh, and of course, George H. W. Bush. Well, he's a he's a he's a Republican. What about what about Iraq? Again, a Wilsonian progressive, George H. W. Bush. But every major conflict. I mean, I'm not talking about I mean, th- those weren't even declared wars, every major conflict, with the exception of the war on terror, is with a Democrat, but more importantly, progressives. I don't play this R.D. game. It's progressives. So he says, give people light. These are words of our time. Really? The current president has cloaked America in darkness for much too long, too much anger, too much fear, too much division. Well, why is that? I mean, ask this question. Is that anger, fear, division? Is that really from his base, from Trump's base, or is that from the Democrats who are sore losers who lost an election? That's where the fear, the anger, and the divisions coming from. I don't see Republicans, Trump supporters, out rioting unless they're fighting back against the other side. I, I don't, I don't see that. Um, you know, but. I digress. I mean, where is this coming from? Here and now I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I will be an ally on the light, not of the dark. What does this even mean? It's time for us, for we the people to come together. All these things are just so stupid. We the people. This gets back to that stupid preamble thing that I talked about last week. Just so stupid. For make make no mistake, united we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. Again, what does that even mean? We will choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. Again, what does that mean? None of these things have any meaning. It's just a bunch of words. It's, it's just wordsmithing. Let's put some words together that sound good. I'm a proud Democrat, and I will be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general, into the general election. So it is with great honor and humility that I accept this nomination for president of the United States of America. While I will be a Democratic candidate, I will be an American president. I will work as hard for those who didn't support me as I will for those who did. Really? You sure? Kind of like Obama worked as hard in building bridges as, you know, but he really didn't. We won the election. I won. You lost. This is what his message was. You want to talk about divisiveness. I think Obama was perhaps more divisive than Trump has been. In, in that way, Right. And even then, when Obama was in power, he didn't see right-wing riots all over the United States because the people on the right don't riot. The people on the left do. The left is the most violent political force in the history of man. And I think what's going to happen is, you know, that's, that's kind of like the carrot. Hey, elect me and all these riots will go away. Elect me and the riots will go away. So basically they're using intimidation, using terrorist tactics to get you to vote for them. That's what it comes down to. That's the job of the president. To represent all of us, not just our base or our party. This is not a partisan moment. This must be an American moment. Again, he's, he's using the nationalism that Trump used essentially to get into office. This is a nationalist speech. It means nothing. There's no substance to this. It means nothing. But it's what Biden thinks needs to happen. It's a moment that calls for hope and light and love. Hope of a far future, light to see our way forward, and love for one another. I mean, what does this all mean? We must love one another, or we must die. Is that Lyndon Johnson? He's going to show big nuclear explosion. It's going to be the Daisy ad here all over again. America isn't just a collection of classing interests of red states or blue states. We're so much bigger than that. We're so much better than that. I mean, (laughs) did a fourth grader write this? But here we go. Here's where I told you we haven't changed since 1944. Nearly a century ago, Franklin Roosevelt pledged a new deal in a time of massive unemployment, uncertainty, and fear. Stricken by disease, stricken by a virus, FDR insisted that he would recover and prevail, and he believed America could as well. And he did, and so can we. This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart and, yes, the soul of America. What does all that mean? But here we go. See, they have not changed since 1944. They use the same playbook from 1944 all the time. The Democrats are the most tired political organization around. They're awful. They're terrible. And, and... Uh, again, they're, they're going to use 1948 because Truman took the New Deal and then added in civil rights. And, of course, they carried that forward into the 1960s with Lyndon Johnson. But still, uh, I mean, and Kennedy, and th- this is the thing. They haven't figured out a new playbook since that particular time period. They still think, and Joe Biden, of course, is 78 years old. He's still living in 1960s America. This is part of the problem. Democrats still believe we're in it's 1964 and we still have uh, Jim Crow segregation run everywhere. We still have the Great Depression going on. Uh, I mean this is all still happening. It's all just current events for them. They've never gotten out of that. They believe in this constant state of of discord in America. They haven't figured out that that stuff really doesn't exist anymore. Now, I know we have a terrible economic downturn caused by government and yet they think government wants to be the solution. Government wrecks it, and then government comes in to save it. This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart and your soul America right. Winning it, winning it for the generous among us, not for the selfish. Winning it for the workers who keep this country going, not just for the privileged few at the top. Winning it for those communities who have known the injustice of knee on the neck. For all the young people who have known only in America of rising inequity and shrinking opportunity. I mean, is that true? Is that true? Is there. Uh, this, is, this is interesting to me because this is the perception. It's just like uh, I saw a poll with, with the coronavirus. A huge number of Americans think that, that half of the coronavirus deaths are people under 44 when it's only less than 3%. And they think that, uh, you know, another, uh, maybe a half or a little less than half are people over 55, and that's like 70%. And this is the thing. The perception is way off in the United States. They deserve to experience America and prom- America's promise in full. The only reason they're depressed about the future of America is because of government policies. Look, we know that education is expensive because government props up higher education. We know healthcare is expensive because government props up health care. We know that our dollar is becoming worthless because government keeps printing more money. These are the things that are crushing people. These are the things that are crushing people. Government. That's the problem. No generation ever knows what history will ask of it. All we can ever know is whether we'll be ready when that moment arrives. What does that even mean? And now history has delivered us to one of the most difficult moments America has ever faced. Four historic crises all at the same time. A perfect storm. The worst pandemic in over 100 years. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Well, why is it the worst? I mean, could we not have gotten through this thing? If and, and they bring up Japan and Sweden and all these. Well, they did things differently than the United States did. The most compelling call for racial justice since the 60s and the undeniable realities of accelerating threats of climate change. Really? I know people are right now. We got two named storms in the Gulf of Mexico or close to it. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened since 1950. We've two major two category 20 hurricanes rolling through the Gulf of Mexico. Well, it's not the case. How do we know this hasn't happened before? We've only been taking uh, you know, we've only had accurate weather forecasting I mean maybe for a little over 100 years. So how do we know this didn't happen before? We don't know that. We don't know it at all. I mean this is just so stupid. The, the, all of this is stupid. So the question for us is simple. Are we ready? I believe we are. We must be. We must be. We must be ready to give up all of our liberties and spend lots of tax dollars. All elections are important, but we know in our bones this one is more consequential. Really? Do we know that in our bones? Do we really know this? Is this going to be, are you going to save us, Joe? America's at an inflection point, a time of real peril, but of extraordinary possibilities. We can choose the path of becoming angrier, less hopeful, and more divided, a path of shadow and suspicion, we can choose a different path and together take this chance to heal, to be reborn, to unite a path of hope and light. This is a life changing election that will determine America's future for a very long time. Really? Character is on the ballot. Okay, well, let's talk about character. Are you a good character, Joe? Let's see. You lie. You've been accused of all kinds, you've been accused of assault, just like Donald Trump has. Uh, you're a career politician. You'll say anything to get elected. The person you're running with has called you a racist. And I, I don't believe you're a racist, but you are a racist because you said this. So, I mean, is this you, Joe? Is that you? Is character really on the ballot? We Now you've been accused of having an affair while your wife was still married. I mean, is character really there? Is there really much of a difference between you and Donald Trump? Not really. You're both slimy people. You're really slimy. So is Trump. They're both slimy people. And when you look at Kamala Harris, look as far as character, I'm not a big Mike Pence fan, but his character is much better than Kamala Harris's character. Again, accusations of improprieties, uh, lying to people about what she does to try to, to pander to votes. I mean, I don't think uh, Pence really ever does that. Uh, you know, for all the things that I that I think Michael uh, Mike Pence has got problems with. That's one thing that you can probably say about Pence over any of the other three people that would be in the major parties is his character is probably better than any of the other three. Compassion is on the ballot. Decency, science, demo- Science is on the ballot. Science and democracy. Look at the words. Science and democracy. Those are on the ballot. Who we are as a nation, what we stand for, and most importantly, who we want to be. mean again, this doesn't mean that's on the ballot. And the choice cannot be clearer. No rhetoric is needed. Just judge... The president on the facts. Five million Americans infected with COVID-19. Did he do that? Did Trump do that? Biden was against the policies that Trump Trump employed early on, shutting down travel. No, no, we shouldn't do that. Biden is on the record for saying we shouldn't do that. Trump was taking steps that Fauci was saying we should use early on. More than 170,000 Americans have died. Is this the president's fault or is it... The, is it Cuomo's fault in New York where you had the highest number of deaths for stuffing seniors with COVID in nursing homes? Is that really Trump's fault or is it somebody else's fault? Why is it that we've got this problem? Is it, is it, is it Trump's responsibility to keep everyone safe from a virus? But Biden says later on the speech, and he's come out and said, look, if I'm president, you're going to have to wear a mask. I'm going to mandate it. Now, he has no constitutional authority to do that. And I would expect that there would be an immediate lawsuit filed and it would be it would be fast-tracked. And, of course, Biden would be found that he can't do it. That, that would happen. There, there's no authority in the U.S. Constitution for Biden to mandate that anybody wears a mask. But he does say in this speech that he would he would do that. And after he followed up and said, yeah, if the, if the scientists told me to, I would do it. I guess if the scientists told him that it would save America if he jumped off a bridge, he'd go do it. I mean, this is just stupid. He said he would shut down the entire economy if the scientists told him that would do it. He would do it. That right there is one of the reasons why you shouldn't vote for Joe Biden. By far the worst performance of any nation on earth. More than 50 million people have filed for unemployment this year. More than 10 million people are going to lose their health insurance this year. Okay, wait. Why did all that happen? Because the science told him to do it. I mean, if you're going to side with science, you're saying that you would do the exact same thing. The, uh, so we got to shut down the economy. We got to shut all this down. We got, to, we got to flatten the curve. This is what we got to do. This is what the science told him to do. Is that Trump's fault? He suggested people do it. And of course, then the states followed suit. This is what the science said he should do. So if we're going to side with science, then we're going to really mess things up in this particular case. Nearly one in six small businesses will close this year. Again, is if the president's reelected, we know what will happen. Cases and deaths will remain far too high. More mom-and-pop businesses will close their doors. I mean, this is, you can see right, if you had any knowledge of what's going on, you could see right through this. Of course, this is appealing to their base, which are a bunch of stupid people. Okay? And the press is going to eat this up. They already have. Oh, my gosh, the best, the best speech I've ever heard Biden make. This is the best. I thought Obama's was the best, but now this is the best. Working families will struggle to get by, and yet the wealthiest 1% will get tens of billions of dollars in new tax breaks. And the assault on the Affordable Care Act will continue until it's destroyed, taking insurance away from more than 20 million people, including more than 15 million people on Medicaid, and getting rid of the protections that President Obama and I passed for people who suffer from a pre-existing condition. Joe, you didn't pass anything. You, you, didn't, you were Vice President of the United States. And uh, you didn't do anything. You didn't pass it. And Obama didn't pass it either. The Congress came up with it, and of course, Obama signed it. He didn't pass. This is the, the language that's used for the presidency is just stupid again. And speaking of President Obama, a man I was honored to serve alongside for eight years as Vice President, let me take this moment to say something we don't nearly don't say nearly enough. Thank you, Mr. President. You are a great president, a president our children could and did look up to. No one will say that about the current occup- occupant of the office. <laughs> I mean, this is just so stupid, right? What we know about this president If he's given us four more years Who will be his, what he's been the last four years. A president who takes no responsibility, views as a lead, blames others, cozes up to dictators and fans of flames of hate and division. Uh, now, Trump has always said it's about you. He said this a lot. And so Biden says this, will, is, is that the America you want for your family and your children? It's about you. It's not about him. It's about you. Selfless and humble. One that is generous and strong, selfless and humble. It's an America we can rebuild together. As president, the first step I will take will be to get control of the virus that's ruined so many lives. Because I understand something this president doesn't. We'll, we will never get our economy back on track. We'll never get our kids safely back to school. We'll never have our lives back until we deal with this virus. So we know what we're going to have to do. We have to, everybody's going to have to mandate wear a mask, wear a mask and we're going to shut everything down again for however long that takes, two, three years, and then we're going to make everybody dependent on government. We're going to crush businesses entirely, and then we're going to save America. Because that's what Biden said he would do. Uh. So, I mean, he says he's going to do some things. We'll have a national mandate to wear a mask. A mandate. It's a patriotic duty. Where's the power, Joe? Where's the power? He says he's going to protect America from every attack, seen and unseen, always without exception, every time. Look, I understand it's hard to have hope right now. On this summer night, let me take a moment to speak to, to those of you who have lost the most. So, I mean, I've lost a wife and, and I've lost this, and I've lost a son. I've lo- oh yeah, those are all sad things. Is that why we should vote for a president? I mean, the, I mean, should should we have voted for uh, for Franklin Pierce because he lost children and then he lost his his last child in a in a train accident? I mean, did he, did he go out and say you should vote for me because I've lost all this stuff? We never said that. He never said that. That's not why you vote for somebody. you don't vote for them because of that. He says he's going to build up infrastructure. I'm surprised he didn't say Amtrak because, of course, uh, that's where you know Joe Biden. One of Joe Biden's uh, favorite things is Amtrak. Uh, you know, education. They're going to go out there and you know put more money in education, put more money in childcare. Uh, we're going to deal with climate change. It's not only a crisis; it's an enormous opportunity—an opportunity for America to lead the world in clean energy and create millions of new, good-paying jobs in the process. It's been shown it doesn't do any of that. There's nothing there for it, uh, and we're going to end loopholes for the ta- You said we're not going to, you're not going to see your taxes go up if you make under four hundred thousand a year, except we're going to make you pay more of social security tax and other things. And so, you know, this is the thing. The, the speech is just a bunch of fluff. There's nothing to it, and particularly when you get to the end. I want to focus on this last little part because think about how stupid this last bit is, and then I'm going to mention the the plagiarism part here in a second. He says, America's history tells us it has been in our darkest moments that we made our greatest progress. That's a key phrase there. In our darkest moments, we made our most progress. Think about what he's referring to there. The expansion of government power during the Great Depression, uh, the expansion of government power in the Great Society, the expansion of government power during major wars. This is what he's talking about. He's referring back to expansion of government power. Is that what we really want? Do we want expansion of government power? Because this is what he's telling you he's going to do. That we found the light. The light is government power. In this dark moment, I believe we are poised to make great progress again. That we can find the light once more. But I thought you didn't want to go into the light. You know, Don't go into the light, Caroline. I've always believed you can define America in one word, possibilities. This is This part of the speech is progressivism 101. That's all it is. That in America, everyone, and I mean everyone, should be given the opportunity to go as far as their dreams and God-given ability will take them. No, 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 that's not what the Democrats really believe. They don't believe it's your God-given ability. But see, Biden's trying to appeal to people here. That's too stupid to realize that he, his base doesn't believe in that. Because there's no God-given ability. Everyone's equal, right? There's, no, there's nobody that's better than anyone else. You didn't make that. You didn't build that. You didn't do any of that. That's not your God-given ability. Your dreams, so what? We're going to make sure that you're regulated and taxed to where you can't have those things. Particularly uh, if you are someone who is uh, uh, wealthy or in a privileged class. We can never lose that. In times as challenging as these, I believe there is only one way forward. As a united America, united in our pursuit of a more perfect union, united in our dreams of a better future for us and for our children, united in our determination to make the coming years bright, This is where it gets stupid. Are we ready? I believe we are. This is a great nation, and we are a good and decent people. This is the United States of America, and there has never been anything we've been unable to accomplish when we've done it together. The Irish poet Seamus Haney once wrote, History says, don't hope on this side of the grave, but then once in a lifetime the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme. So he's, he's hope, that's Barack Obama, right? Hope and change. Hope and history now, and now it's hope and history. It was hope and change, now it's hope and history. We, we can't have hope and change anymore. We need hope and history. With passion and purpose, let us begin, you and I together, one nation, under God, united in our love for America and united in our love for each other. For love is more important, than, powerful than hate. Hope is more powerful than fear. Light is more powerful than dark. This is our moment. This is our mission. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight as love and hope and light joined in the battle for the soul of the nation. What does that even mean? And this is a battle that we together will win. I promise you. Thank you. And may God bless you and may God protect our troops. <laughs> what, what is that? Throwaway line. May God protect our troops right at the end. Oh, wait. So we're going to appeal to some soldiers out there. Now, the New York Post ran an article uh, the very next day. This, of course, the speech was, uh, or not? it was two days later. When was the speech made? I guess it was Thursday night. Yeah, Thursday night. So the uh, New York Post ran an article two days later. That's sloppy, Joe. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden reprised his penchant for borrowing lines from other people's work this week, apparently relying a bit too heavily on the words of a deceased Kennock party leader during his acceptance speech at the Democratic National Convention. Biden concluded his Thursday night speech by saying, for love is more powerful than hate, hope is more powerful than fear, light is more powerful than dark. But Canadian media quickly noted that the former Veep's words were cannily similar to those of Jack Layton, the leader of Canada's left-wing New Democratic Party who issued a poignant open letter to his fellow citizens as, citizens as he lay dying in 2011. My friends, Layton wrote, love is better than anger, anger, hope is better than fear, optimism is better than despair. Biden's wordplay, delivered two days before the 90-year anniversary of Leighton's death, gave some in the great white north a serious case of deja vu. A number of Canadians are struck by the similar parting words of Biden's speech to the final words of Jack Layton's farewell letter before his death. CBC's Washington's correspondent, Alexander Panetta, tweeted at the time, Leighton's message, meanwhile, has had itself employed somewhat similar language to that once used by Canadian Prime Minister Wilfred Laurier, the National Post reported. Let me tell you for, that for the solution of these problems, you have a safe guide, an unfailing light if you remember that faith is better than doubt and love is better than hate. The difference between Biden's language and Layton's and Laura's, for that matter, were apparently enough to escape the $4,200 anti-plagiarism software program that the Democratic nominee campaign reportedly purchased. So he's actually purchased a program so he doesn't plagiarize anything because he knows this is what he's done. And then, of course, they get uh, into his cribbing habits. He, uh, he withdrew from the 87 Democratic, uh, Democratic Party's presidential race because he reportedly ripped off lines from UK Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock. In a debate. In a lawsuit school in 1965, Biden flunked a class repeatedly citing published works without attribution, reports say. And as recently as last year, Biden caught heat for stealing lines from climate change activist groups and using them word for word in his own climate change plan, drawing derision from President Trump. Plagiarism charged against Sleepy Joe Biden on his ridiculous climate change plan is a big problem, but the corrupt media will save him, Trump tweeted at the time. So, I mean, this is what Biden does. He plagiarizes. He is... An empty suit. He is whatever the left will tell him to be. He's not really his own thing. And, of course, he's whatever he, he thinks, whatever I'm going to use, whatever language to get elected. I mean, th- this is Joe Biden. Horrible. But his speech is worthless. It was empty, just like Joe Biden. And I needed to cover it. Again, Again, sorry for a little longer podcast, but uh, I want to keep these things at 20 minutes usually. But we might go a little longer on some of this political stuff right now because it's it's pressing. So that's Biden the empty suit, the empty promises, the platitude slogans, no new th- nothing new since 1944 or 1948, it's the same old stuff into the democrats were still living in the great depression and uh jim crow south. I mean, this is what they firmly believe we're still living in, which of course is completely not true. All right. I will see you next time on the Brian McClanahan show. See you then.